While acts of terrorism are no doubt some of the scariest events that have occurred, we wanted to discuss lesser-known cases, as we so often do on my channel. Now, let's begin the episode. In August, Lenata Lester finally decided to leave her abusive boyfriend, 27-year-old Derek Dearman. She went to stay with her five relatives in Alabama, but Derek had a nasty temper when things didn't go his way, and he wasn't about to let her go that easily. In the early morning hours of August 20th, Derek injected himself with methamphetamine before breaking into Lenata's relatives' home with evil intentions and an axe in hand. Lenato woke to the sound of gunshots as 23-year-old Justin Reed attempted to fend Derek off, but to no avail. Derek then took both the gun and the axe to Justin's pregnant wife, 22-year-old Chelsea Reed, along with the other adults in the house, Joseph Adam Turner, his wife Shannon Randall, and Robert Lee Brown. Standing in the midst of a nightmare, Lenata realized Joseph and Shannon's three-month-old infant had been spared, and she attempted to escape with the baby, but was forced into a vehicle by Derek. The murderer drove his ex and the child to his home in Leakesville, Mississippi, where Lenata managed to escape with the infant. Just as Lenata alerted authorities of the massacre of her family, Derek turned himself in and confessed to the crime. Police called the scene horrific and gruesome, as all five victims had multiple axe wounds, including Chelsea Reed, who was five months pregnant. Derek Dearman blames his actions on the methamphetamine he took that night and has pled not guilty in the preliminary hearing. The trial is still ongoing, but he faces six counts of murder due to Chelsea's unborn child. Thanksgiving for the Guy family was a happy occasion. 28-year-old Joel Guy Jr. drove up from his home in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Knoxville, Tennessee to spend the holiday with his parents and twin sisters. Thanksgiving Day came and went without incident, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Then, the following Monday, 55-year-old Lisa Guy never showed up for work and missed a crucial meeting. Co-workers requested officers do a welfare check, and police walked into a crime scene straight out of a nightmare. Lisa and her husband, 61-year-old Joel Guy Sr., were found scattered in pieces inside the house, their bodies dismembered. There were allegedly signs of torture in addition to the multiple fatal stab wounds on their bodies. It also appeared as though someone tried to destroy the evidence in an acidic mixture of chemicals in a bathtub. Investigators zeroed in on the son, Joel Jr., an unemployed LSU dropout. Joel had planned to ask his parents for money over the holiday, but allegedly they informed their son they were cutting him off financially in hopes he would start fending for himself. Joel Jr. was arrested and faces two counts of first-degree murder. Joel's sisters are understandably shocked and devastated by the disintegration of their family, saying they'd plan to have Christmas together soon. Lisa and Joel Sr. had also recently sold their home and were moving in order to start the next chapter of their life in retirement. 
In August, the Schwab family from Olathe, Kansas, wanted to spend one of their last free days of summer at Schlitterbahn Water Park in Kansas City. The park made recent news in 2014 when it opened its most ambitious ride yet, the world's tallest water slide, which they called Verrucht, German for insane. The ride sat three passengers into a raft, securing them with Velcro straps, and plunged them down a 17-story drop, then up a smaller crest before a five-story drop into a pool at the bottom. Footage of early test rides showed sandbags flying off the rafts, failing to stay harnessed inside, which possibly delayed its opening. Still, Verrucht received a safety pass from the state audit and was open to the public without incident. However, on August 7th, 10-year-old Caleb Schwab and his older brother Nate had no idea their day of fun would end in horrific tragedy. The brothers climbed to the top of Verrucht, but were unable to ride down together, as they didn't meet the required minimum weight. So, both boys went down with strangers, beginning with Nate, who waited at the bottom for Caleb to make his descent. But as Caleb's raft ascended after the initial drop, his harness came loose, sending him flying. His neck collided with one of the metal loops at 65 miles per hour, decapitating the young boy and killing him instantly and leaving his brother, who witnessed the horrific accident, hysterical. An investigation into the ride revealed there were several complaints of other riders' shoulder straps dislodging and the park was not actively maintaining tests of the ride, which was closed permanently following Caleb's death. Caleb would have started fifth grade the following week. In Anderson, South Carolina, 30-year-old Kala Brown and her boyfriend, 32-year-old Charlie Carver, had only been dating for a few months when they decided to move in together. Things between the couple were progressing smoothly, that is, until late August, when they both went missing. Kala's parents knew something was wrong when they found her apartment door unlocked and her beloved Pomeranian dog alone inside. Their daughter's car was still in the parking lot, but there was no physical or digital trace of her. Both Charlie and Kala had seemingly vanished, but beginning on September 6th, Charlie's friends noticed something suspicious on his Facebook profile. Charlie, who rarely ever used social media, was posting, commenting, and updating pictures, but his posts didn't sound like him and were riddled with grammatical errors. He claimed that he and Kala were fine and that they just decided to leave, but with time it became apparent things were not fine. Charlie was liking the pages family members set up concerning the missing couple, and one of the most ominous images posted was one that read, Sometimes late at night, I dig a hole in the backyard to keep the nosy neighbors guessing. Beyond the worrisome social media activity, police had few leads for months. Then, in early November, authorities were combing the property of a 45-year-old real estate agent and registered sex offender named Todd Kolhep. There they found Kala Brown alive, chained like a dog, inside of a shipping container. Kala, who'd worked for Todd, helping him clean up properties before showings, was kidnapped and held hostage by her boss for over two months. Kala revealed to police that there were possibly up to four other bodies buried on the property, and after excavation, police found three. The remains of Charlie Carver and two other victims, Megan and Johnny Coxey, whom Todd had killed in 2015. Charlie was gunned down and allegedly Kala was forced to watch. 
While in custody, Todd also admitted responsibility for the unsolved superbike murders in 2003 in which four people were killed. So far, he's been charged with kidnapping and seven counts of murder. And while Kala survived the ordeal, she's filed a civil suit against him for the injuries and severe emotional distress her captor caused her. As of December 23rd, Anchorage, Alaska has seen a record-breaking 30 homicides in 2016, its deadliest year on record. But summer was the season that brought residents the most anxiety. After a string of murders occurred, the public wondered if there was a serial killer in their midst. On July 3rd, a passerby on the Ship Creek Trail bike path came across the bodies of 20-year-old Brianna Foisey and 41-year-old Jason Netter Sr., both of whom had struggled with drugs. Then, almost two months later, another pair of bodies showed up in the valley of the Moon Park. The victims were 25-year-old Bryant DeHewson, a local environmental activist, and 34-year-old Kevin Turner, who, according to family, lived with a mental illness. The final known victim, 21-year-old Travion Thompson, was killed on July 29th. All five of the victims had been murdered with the same gun. The public, growing distressed, demanded answers from authorities who were reluctant to reveal details of the investigation to avoid tipping off any potential suspects. Police caught a break in the case in November, and it almost cost another life. When Anchorage police officer Arn Saleo approached 40-year-old James Dale Ritchie about a cab fare he'd failed to pay, James suddenly pulled out a gun and fired at the officer. Arn was shot four times but survived his injuries following two surgeries. During the exchange of gunfire, James Ritchie was also killed and police realized his gun was the same one responsible for the five summer murders. To those who'd known James in high school, they said he'd seemed the unlikeliest of serial killers. He was happy and had enough athletic talent to be considered for the NFL. Officer Saleo and James even attended East Anchorage High School at the same time, though it is unknown if they crossed paths. Allegedly, James's life took a turn for the worst and his promising athletic career tanked as a result of criminal arrests and drugs. As of right now, James hasn't been conclusively tied to all five killings, and we may never know the whole truth behind the murder spree. In November, when 16-year-old Lee Valoria Paulino went missing in the town of Lawrence, Massachusetts, his family knew something was wrong. Police believed Lee had run away, but friends and family knew Lee wouldn't have left his iPhone and wallet behind. Search parties scoured the surrounding area, but Lee was nowhere to be found. Then, on December 1st, a passerby made a horrific discovery while walking her dog. She spotted Lee's headless body along the banks of the Merrimack River. When police searched the area, they found his head 50 feet away behind the local boys and girls club. Due to the condition of the body, the autopsy took over a day and a half to complete, with the coroner concluding Lee had been murdered. During the investigation, authorities made a connection to a Matthew Borges, a fellow classmate of Lee's. According to students, the duo spent a fair amount of time with one another, though Lee's family only met Matthew once, very briefly. When Matthew was questioned, he confessed he and Lee had gone to a spot near the river and smoked marijuana together. Then, for unknown reasons, Matthew had stabbed Lee to death, cutting his head and arm off in the process. 
Matthew's motive behind the senseless murder is still unknown, but he will be tried as an adult and has pled not guilty. The family struggled to find consolation in their son's gruesome death, saying they were dissatisfied with the way authorities handled his disappearance. The case and trial are still developing. Family celebrating Thanksgiving in Sevier County, Tennessee, didn't quite have the holiday they'd planned. On November 23rd, a sudden wildfire broke out from the Chimney Tops area of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Then the blaze began to spread. The fire left an ashen path of destruction, with high-speed winds fanning the flames further and further, encroaching upon the cities of Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge by the 28th. Families fled their homes and livelihoods, and over 400 firefighters coordinated rescues while trying to keep casualties to a minimum, and also while trying to contain the blaze. Approximately 46 engines, 6 helicopters, and 5 bulldozers were deployed in the efforts to keep the fires at bay. Emergency responders received a little help from Mother Nature when several bouts of rainfall and high humidity levels kept the flames from spreading, allowing firefighters to gain control. At the end of it all, the fires had destroyed 1,700 buildings, both residential and commercial, along with 17,000 acres of land and displaced thousands of people. Perhaps most tragic, though, were those that lost their lives in the fires. A grand total of 14 casualties resulted from the blaze. Some residents had lost everything, their homes, livelihoods, family members, and friends. But during the investigation, they were forced to try to retain a sense of normalcy and pick up what was left of their lives. A tip line was established to try and determine the cause of the fire, and it wasn't long until authorities arrested two suspects. Police said the accused fire starters are juveniles and therefore their names cannot be released, but it is possible they will be charged as adults. As of right now, the main charge would be for aggravated arson, though it is possible due to the level of destruction and lives lost, those charges will change as the investigation progresses. 65-year-old Zenobia Richmond lived a quiet life at her home in Erie, Pennsylvania, but on November 30th, she heard something fall against her attic door. It had been nearly two years since she'd gone into the attic, so when she opened the door and found a mummified body, she was horror-struck. Authorities arrived on scene, and it was determined that the body belonged to Dyquane Rogers, Zenobia's grandson, who had disappeared nearly two years earlier. Dyquane, who had ambitions of joining the Navy or becoming an emergency medical technician, suddenly vanished in October of 2014. His family suspected he'd met foul play as he'd left his phone, wallet, and glasses behind. Friends and family alike formed search parties to aid police, but there was no trace of him. Dyquane's mother, Carol Rogers, told herself over the years that her son had simply left town in hopes that he would return safe one day. But unfortunately, it seems Dyquane succumbed to an internal struggle. The autopsy concluded he had committed suicide. Though his family never knew him to be depressed, he posted on Facebook shortly before disappearing about having the worst luck. This came as a shock to his family, who'd always known Dyquane as happy-go-lucky. Though not all the family agrees with the suicide ruling, the investigation concluded Dyquane had likely been in the attic the entire time he was missing. While the outcome of Dyquane's disappearance ended in tragedy, the family now has answers. 
though they may offer little comfort. Ten-year-old Victoria Martins had just started fourth grade in Albuquerque, New Mexico in August. She was heavily involved in gymnastics, swimming, and her local church group. But her mother, Michelle Martins, was occupied with drugs and dangerous people. Michelle recently began dating 31-year-old Fabian Gonzalez, and she allowed Fabian's cousin, 31-year-old Jessica Kelly, to stay with her and her daughter. Both Fabian and Jessica had criminal records, but no one could have predicted just how twisted and deadly they were. On August 24th, the police were called to the Martins' residence for domestic battery, but upon arrival, they were horrified to find much more. Smoke was pouring out of the apartment, and inside, authorities found the body of Victoria Martins, wrapped in a flaming blanket in a bathtub. While the girl had no pulse, she had suffered greatly. According to her mother, Victoria was drugged with methamphetamine to calm her down before Fabian raped, then strangled her. Jessica then stabbed the young girl to death before dismembering her arms and left leg and setting the body on fire. Albuquerque Police Chief Gordon Eden Jr. called Victoria's heinous murder the most gruesome act of evil he had ever seen in his career. The investigation is still underway, but recent developments have revealed that Michelle Martins was possibly soliciting men online to have sex with her daughter for months leading up to her death. So far, the suspects are all being charged with kidnapping. Michelle and Jessica face charges of child abuse, and Fabian is looking at an additional child rape charge. Grievers, family, friends, and even strangers attended a memorial birthday party for Victoria, those who showed up dressed in purple to honor the girl's favorite color. Vanessa Marcotte, a 27-year-old Boston University graduate, was making her dreams come true. She'd taken her degree in communications and moved to New York to accept a job with Google as an account manager. On August 7th, she traveled home to Princeton, Massachusetts to visit her mother, but it would be her last visit. Vanessa, a regular runner, set out to jog around 1 p.m. that Sunday, but hours later, she still hadn't returned, and by the afternoon, authorities were out looking for her. It wasn't until after dark that a canine unit located Vanessa, only about a half mile from her mother's home, dead. Vanessa's body was found nude, and she'd suffered burns to her feet, hands, and head. Authorities knew they were dealing with foul play and ruled her death a homicide. The community, who hadn't seen a murder in 30 years, was rattled, and authorities warned citizens to be careful and stay vigilant. Unfortunately, there weren't many leads to follow. Police asked the public for help in locating a dark-colored SUV that was seen in the area around the time Vanessa was killed. Based on the crime scene, her killer likely had defensive wounds, but it was unclear if Vanessa knew her killer. However, FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole said it was likely the murderer was a stranger and saw Vanessa as an object and likely felt little remorse for his actions. However, she did believe the killer knew the area well and specifically went out looking for victims. Those who knew Vanessa said she was known for her radiant smile and was a kind and intelligent woman with a bright future ahead of her. Her funeral service was held in her hometown of Lemonster, and as of December 2016, police say there are no updates. Anyone with information about Vanessa's death or her killer is encouraged to call authorities at 
453-753-7589. And hopefully, Vanessa will receive the justice she deserves. We have seen many unfortunate events unfold throughout the year of 2017. From terrorist attacks to relentless murders and even hurricanes, it seems that death, chaos, and misery have littered the calendar. And indeed, these occurrences have left many alone, confounded, and permanently heartbroken. Today, we recount some of the worst events of 2017. However, we have decided to pass over some of the more obvious stories and instead try our best to cover events you may not have known happened. But we're horrible all the same. So let's begin. The day of October 18th, 2017 started out normally for 32-year-old Kenneth White in the Vienna Township of Michigan. Yet sadly, his drive back home later that day would forever change the lives of his loved ones. After a long day of working at a construction site, White was driving home to his family on Interstate 71. But then the unexpected transpired. A six-pound rock fell from an overpass above, broke through his windshield, fractured his skull, and ricocheted into his chest. White soon thereafter died of blunt force trauma. The police soon shut down this part of I-71 so that they could investigate. Five teenagers were responsible for throwing the rock, a dangerous prank that brought an abrupt end to the life of a loving husband and father. They were subsequently apprehended by authorities, and each teenager was given one count of second-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second-degree murder. In addition, the five teenagers were also responsible for throwing other rocks over the overpass, including a 20-pound stone. Other drivers later came forward and reported hearing rocks hit their vehicles. A total of 20 rocks were found on the roads below. All five teenagers could face life imprisonment for their crimes. Even so, nothing will change for a family whose husband and father can never be brought back to life all thanks to the senseless actions of individuals who completely disregarded the value of human life. For many, Easter is supposed to be a day of renewal, unity, and redemption. However, this was not the case for one man who live-streamed himself on Facebook doing the unthinkable. On April 16, 2017, a man by the name of Steve Stevens began a live stream on Facebook. In the live stream, Stevens said he was going to kill an old man walking down the street. Regrettably, he did exactly as he said. After approaching 74-year-old Robert Goodwin, Stevens shot the man without an inch of mercy. Stevens went on to say that he was upset at his girlfriend and claimed to have killed 13 other people, although Goodwin was his only known victim. Cleveland police soon commenced a manhunt for Stevens, which lasted two days. On April 18th, an employee at a McDonald's in Erie, Pennsylvania recognized Stevens. They hurriedly told Stevens that he would have to wait a minute on his fries. This was so the police would have time to arrive. However, Stevens seemed suspicious and left. 
State troopers soon pursued him and performed the pursuit intervention technique to bring Stevens' vehicle to a halt. As his car was spinning out of control, he quickly drew his gun and committed suicide by shooting himself in the head. The true motivations of Steve Stevens may never be fully understood, but what is certain is that ultimately, the innocent life of a husband, father, and grandfather was senselessly lost. Churchgoers tend to attend church for reasons of faith and fellowship, but church is also seen as a sanctuary. Nevertheless, sometimes this isn't the case. One Sunday, September 24, 2017, a congregation in Antioch, Tennessee, would find out precisely how violent their day would become at church. 25-year-old Emmanuel Sampson neared the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ with a firearm, and shortly thereafter opened fire. Sampson killed one woman and injured seven other members. An usher, 22-year-old Robert Engel, was shot in the hand when he confronted the gunman. Engel quickly ran to his vehicle to retrieve a pistol and thereafter fought with Sampson. In the process, Sampson accidentally shot himself and sustained a minor injury. As a result, Sampson had to be taken to the hospital, but was discharged after a brief period of time. A note found in Samson's vehicle indicated that the reason for his crime may have been to take revenge for the victims of white supremacist Dylan Roof's horrific shooting. As a result, the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division and the FBI opened a hate crime investigation into the attack. Investigators have yet to confirm whether or not this was the reason. In the aftermath, the congregation has become stronger than before and one of the critically injured victims, Pastor David Spann, has returned to Burnett Chapel. Halloween certainly became a horrific day for 19 unsuspecting victims in New York City. Amidst the streets, panic and screams would ensue. It was 2.06 p.m. on October 31, 2017, in New Jersey, a man, 29-year-old, Saifulo Saipov, rented a truck from Home Depot. At 2.43, Saipov crossed the George Washington Bridge and entered Manhattan. He then drove down the West Side Highway, making his way to the Hudson River Greenway, a bikeway for cyclists. Saipov then proceeded to run over all of the cyclists in his way, killing eight and injuring seven others. He soon thereafter crashed into a school bus transporting special needs students, injuring four. As Saipov climbed out from the truck, he shouted Allahu Akbar and quickly fled the scene. He was then shot in the abdomen by a New York City police officer, taken into custody and transported to Bellevue Hospital. In the vehicle that Saipov rented, an ISIS flag was found as well as a document that signified his commitment to a terrorist organization. In the end, the FBI charged Saipov with destruction of a motor vehicle and providing material support for a terrorist organization. Saipov was very clearly happy to have done what he did and requested that the ISIS flag be hung in his hospital room. This past year, the Western Hemisphere was witness to great, terrifying power. A monstrous tempest without even an inch of mercy. 
It became one of the strongest hurricanes ever observed in the Atlantic Ocean. On August 30th, 2017, Hurricane Irma began to form near the Cape Verde Islands after a tropical wave had moved off the West African coast three days before. Under the perfect conditions, Irma began to intensify swiftly, becoming a Category 2 hurricane on the Saffir-Simpson scale, only within a brief period of 24 hours. And soon thereafter, Irma became a Category 3, which is considered a major hurricane. However, due to eyewall replacement cycles, the intensity of Irma altered between Categories 2 and 3 for the next several days. Then, on September 4th, Irma's intensity began increasing once again. The hurricane soon became a Category 5 the preceding day. On September 6th, Irma reached the climax of its intensity, with 185-mile-per-hour winds and tremendous pressure, which made it the second most intense tropical cyclone worldwide in 2017. Irma weakened back to a Category 4 due to another eyewall replacement cycle. Nevertheless, Hurricane Irma reached another Category 5 status for the second time. After making landfall over Cuba, it dropped back down to a Category 3. Even so, its destruction over Cuba was unprecedented. Irma then strengthened back to a Category 4 once it began to cross the ocean to Florida before making landfall on Kajo Key. Irma dropped back to a Category 3 once it made a second Florida landfall on Marco Island. Later that day, it weakened to a Category 2 storm, the first time Irma had weakened below major hurricane status in over a week. It eventually dissolved off the coast of New England. Irma resulted in $66.8 billion worth of damage. However, Hurricane Irma also caused the deaths of at least 134 people. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. In January of 2017, months before the Easter Day livestream shooting, there was another livestream on Facebook that left the internet in shock. It all began December 31st, 2016. A mentally disabled 18-year-old was dropped off at a McDonald's by his parents in Streamwood, Illinois. The 18-year-old was then picked up in a van by a supposed friend. Both had attended the same school in Aurora, Illinois. However, the 18-year-old would soon find out that the person whom he thought was his friend was in actuality the complete opposite. On January 2nd of 2017, the 18-year-old's parents filed a missing persons report. On January 3rd, the friend and the 18-year-old went to the residence of his two sisters, then joined by another friend of theirs. One of the sisters started a Facebook live stream and proceeded to record various acts of cruelty. As the live stream continued, the 18-year-old was bound, gagged, taunted, tortured, 
had part of his scalp cut off, was forced to kiss the floor and forced to drink toilet water. During the live stream, the attackers could be heard saying, fuck Trump and fuck white people. In addition, one of the attackers also contacted the victim's mother and demanded a $300 ransom for his return. The live stream only lasted 28 minutes, but the victim was tied up for hours and endured a great amount of suffering. Police suspect the attack on the 18-year-old ended when neighbors in the apartment below complained about loud noises. The four suspects, all African-American, were arrested and charged with aggravated kidnapping, aggravated unlawful restraint, aggravated battery, and a hate crime. They were later identified as 18-year-old Jordan Hill, 18-year-old Tesfay Cooper, 18-year-old Brittany Covington, and 24-year-old Tanisha Covington. In December of 2017, Brittany Covington pled guilty to the charges of committing a hate crime, intimidation, and aggravated battery. Additional charges such as kidnapping were dropped as part of her plea deal. She was then sentenced to four years of probation and 200 hours of community service. In the recent years, rooftopping has become a popular trend among those who greatly desire attention, adrenaline rushes, and viral internet fame. However, and conspicuously, with the practice come many dangers. One stuntman in particular would regrettably find out just how dangerous the rooftopping was. Wu Yunging, a 26-year-old Chinese daredevil, established an incredibly large following by recording himself climbing skyscrapers with no safety gear and taking selfies from extremely high points on the buildings. One day, Yunging would enter a contest so that he could win a prize worth the equivalent of 15,000 American dollars. He intended on using the prize money to pay for his wedding, as well as get treatment for his ill mother. But regrettably, Yoon Ging would not only lose the contest, but his life. On November 8th, once at the top of a 62-story building, Yoon Ging began to suspend himself from the edge of the tall structure by using only his hands. Eventually, he began to perform chin-ups, but without warning, he started to struggle and then accidentally let go, falling to his death and rendering the world speechless. The event was caught on camera and rapidly became a sensation on the internet. Perhaps the tragic footage of Yoon Ging will serve as a grim reminder of the dangers to any other daredevil who wishes to perform the same feat in the future. One of the worst terrorist attacks in all of 2017, an entire nation was left devastated. On October 14, 2017, a man in a truck loaded with several hundred kilograms of homemade and military-grade explosives was stopped by police in Mogadishu, the capital of Somalia. In an instant, the driver accelerated his vehicle, crashing through a barrier, then detonating the explosives. Many of the witnesses described confused and terrified families wandering amidst the debris, smoke, and destruction that shortly thereafter followed. There were over 500 casualties, at least 300 of which were deaths. The man who caused the massive explosion was linked to Al-Shabaab, a well-known Islamist group in Somalia that has been linked to Al-Qaeda since 2011. 
President Muhammad Abduhali Muhammad announced three days of mourning after the attack and even joined thousands of people who donated blood to hospitals. We can only hope that one day terrorist attacks like these will end, but unfortunately, recent trends seem to predict otherwise. Sunday, November 5th, 2017, Sutherland Springs, Texas. It was a normal day at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs. However, their 11 a.m. service would prove fatal when the unexpected transpired. A man wearing all black with a ballistic military vest and armed with a military-style rifle parked his vehicle across the street and began to approach the church. As he stepped upon the pavement of the parking lot, he began to unrelentingly open fire. Then, after walking to the right side of the church, he entered the building and continued firing. The congregation crawled below the pews, holding on to their children and Bibles. Some of the kids started crying, and the parents desperately told them to hush, but sadly the children's fear persisted. The shooter began to fire at the parishioners remorselessly, including the sobbing children. Within seconds, many were either dead or critically wounded. When the man exited the church, he was shot by a neighbor who had heard the sounds of gunfire. Quickly, the shooter fled to his vehicle and took off. Several of the neighbors chased his vehicle into the neighboring county before his car crashed, possibly killing him in the process. He was found dead in his vehicle. It's believed the crash and subsequent death were thanks in large part to the neighbor shooting the attacker. At the church, a scene of utter carnage was left behind. 23 people were found dead inside the church, while two were found dead outside. One more died later at the hospital. The shooter was identified as 26-year-old Devin Patrick Kelly, who already had a history of violence and was even court-martialed and dishonorably discharged from the military. His motivations still remain unclear to this day. Mexico is one of the most seismically active regions in the world, sitting on top of many active tectonic plates. In addition, there is also seismic activity along the edges of the Rivera and Caribbean plates. Altogether, this causes roughly 40 earthquakes per day in Mexico. But nothing could have prepared the citizens of Mexico for the earthquake that took place on September 19, 2017. The earthquake's estimated magnitude was 7.1, killing 370 people and injuring more than 6,000. There was violent shaking for more than 20 seconds, and the destruction that followed was exceedingly vast. Strangely, this earthquake took place on the anniversary of the 1985 Mexico City earthquake. At least 44 buildings in Mexico City collapsed, causing fires and large clouds of dust. Gas pipelines also leaked as a result. Church steeples crumbled and some churches even fully collapsed, one of which collapsed during a mass, killing 15 people. And another church collapsed during a baptism, killing 11 people, including the baby. In the aftermath, the international response was overwhelming, 
Some of the response included the Japan International Cooperation Agency sending a disaster relief team of 72 search and rescue personnel, four search dogs, and five tons of equipment, as well as other rescuers, including police from Tokyo. The Israeli Defense Forces sent a group of 71 search and rescue soldiers, including engineers. The Turkish State Aid Agency also sent humanitarian aid. 2018, for many, was a year littered with tragedy. Things such as murder, accidents, natural disasters, and much, much more have changed the lives of people all over the globe in 2018. And today, we recount some of the very worst of these events. We have, however, decided to pass over some of the more obvious stories in order to shed more light on lesser-known ones that you may have missed. Now, let's begin. On August 26, 2018, a woman returned to her Chicago apartment at approximately 4 a.m. after a long night at work. She picked up on the smell of smoke coming from somewhere in the building and quickly called 911 before warning as many of her neighbors as she could. But unfortunately, for some, it was already too late. Firefighters did everything in their power to get everyone to safety, but by the time they arrived, eight people had succumbed to their injuries. And even more tragic was the fact that six of them were children, ranging between the ages of three and 16. One of the survivors, also a minor, died at the hospital a few days later, bringing the total number of lives lost to nine. Upon further inspection, it was discovered that the fire had started at the rear of the building and that the front exits were clear, but the residents did not have smoke alarms to wake them up in time to escape. The exact cause of the fire is still undetermined, but investigators believe it was either caused by fireworks or a stray cigarette. In the early hours of August 24, 2018, a resident of Montgomery County, Texas, awoke to the sound of his doorbell ringing. By the time he arrived to see who it was, however, whoever had been there was long gone. Puzzled, the man reviewed his surveillance feed, and what he found was footage of a woman, disheveled, disoriented, wearing only a t-shirt, no shoes, and what appeared to be broken restraints around her wrist. The resident immediately contacted authorities who then posted the video to the internet along with screenshots, anything to help in identifying this mystery woman who is now believed to have rang the doorbells of up to five households during the night the video of her was captured. Naturally, the internet started coming up with theories. Many tried searching through the missing persons logs from around the area and surrounding states, but none were confirmed to be a match. Some even assumed that the incident was an elaborate hoax, and others considered the possibility that perhaps she was an escaped patient from a nearby psychiatric facility. Unfortunately though, the truth was soon revealed to be much, much more troubling than anyone had previously imagined. 
On August 29th, less than a week after the incident, a 49-year-old man by the name of Dennis Ray Collins was discovered dead in his home from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Authorities were able to locate the body after Collins' ex-wife had reported receiving alarming text messages from him, leading her to believe he could possibly be considering ending his own life. On top of this, Collins' ex-wife also provided police with the information they had been so desperately in need of in order to identify the woman in the video from a few days earlier. According to her, she believed the woman to be her ex-husband's girlfriend, and this, indeed, turned out to be true. The woman was later found in the care of her family and remains publicly unnamed due to the fact that she had been subjected to physical and sexual abuse at the hands of Collins. According to her, the restraints seen within the video were used to keep her tied down to a bed, but on the night the video was captured, she was able to break free and seek help. Without a phone or anyone on the streets at 3 a.m., she resorted to ringing the doorbells of nearby homes in the hopes that someone would come to her rescue. Unable to find help, the woman returned back to Collins' home, but fortunately was able to contact her family, who ushered her to safety soon after. A suicide note was discovered alongside Collins' body. In it, he confessed to being responsible for the state his girlfriend was in within the video, and he also mentioned being aware of just how widespread the clip had become. In 2010, a 19-year-old Australian college student by the name of Sam Ballard was enjoying a night of drinking at a friend's backyard in Sydney. In the midst of all the fun, the group noticed a garden slug on the nearby pavement, and that's when the question was presented. As so many young people would, the boys began egging each other on about who would eat the creature, and that's when Sam volunteered. Naturally, at first, there seemed to be nothing wrong, but not long after ingesting the slug, Sam began to complain of weakness and an intense pain in his legs. At first, Sam's mother bet on the possibility of multiple sclerosis as it ran in the family, but doctors disagreed. With no diagnosis in sight, Sam mentioned the slug to his mother, and while at first she figured there was no way eating a simple garden slug could cause such issues, it was later confirmed that the slug had been infected by a parasite. Sam had developed rat lungworm disease. As the name implies, the parasite is a type of nematode that resides within the lungs of rats before eventually being passed on to other creatures such as slugs and snails where their larvae can flourish before continuing the cycle. Humans are not normally this parasite's target, but they can become infected after ingesting infected water, vegetables, or undercooked snails and slugs. Once in the system, the larvae are spread throughout the body via blood and can cause serious complications to the central nervous system. In Sam's case, the lungworms caused him to slip into a coma lasting over 400 days. Once Sam awoke, the damage was so severe that he was mostly paralyzed, unable to complete basic functions on his own, and unable to eat without the use of a tube. Unfortunately, Sam never recovered, and in November of 2018, 
Over eight long years after the day that changed his life forever, Sam Ballard passed away at a hospital not far from where he grew up, surrounded by his closest friends and family members. January 2018. A 17-year-old girl makes her escape from her family home in Paris, California. She is scared, weak, and so malnourished that authorities later described her as having the appearance of a 10-year-old. The girl was able to lead police back to her family home, which would soon become known to millions as the House of Horrors. There, police found the girl's 12 siblings bound by chains and padlocks, clearly suffering from abuse and severe malnourishment. The siblings range from the ages of 2 all the way to 29 years old, but despite this, all 13 were mistaken as minors. Much like the 17-year-old who managed to escape, the seven adult siblings were so frail they almost appeared to be children. One of the siblings, age 12, weighed as much as a 7-year-old, while the eldest sibling weighed just 82 pounds, despite being 29 years of age. Police immediately took the parents into custody. David and Louise Turpin, ages 56 and 49, were charged with torture, abuse of both children and dependent adults, neglect, false imprisonment, and lewd acts on a child under the age of 14. After the arrest, more information on the lives of the Turpin siblings began to emerge, detailing both their struggle and the backwards mentality of their parents. According to the siblings, on top of being fed just barely enough to survive, they were only allowed to shower about once every year and hadn't been seen by a doctor in over four years. The children would be punished for stealing food, and at one point, one of the Turpin children was allegedly strangled by their mother as punishment for using the internet to watch a video of Justin Bieber. The Turpin siblings had been mostly isolated from the outside world. Neighbors expressed shock at the news that so many people had been living right next to them for so long and in such poor conditions without their knowledge. The isolation was so severe that according to those involved with the case, some of the younger children didn't even know what a police officer was. David and Louise Turpin both pled not guilty to all charges, but are still facing 94 years to life in prison for the atrocities their children suffered at their hands. This photo, posted by up-and-coming Instagram stars Meenakshi Morthy and Vishnu Viswanath, is full of energy, beauty, and enthusiasm. Originally from India, the couple relocated to California a few years ago and began documenting their many adventures throughout the United States in breathtaking photos featuring everywhere from New York City to the Grand Canyon. Their Instagram account, Holidays and Happily Ever Afters, was quickly gaining a following, over 10,000 by the time of their final post. There, the couple could be seen doing various activities such as skydiving, canoeing, and celebrating special events, just to name a few. 
In March of 2018, the couple posted this photo along with a caption warning of the dangers of extreme stunts in the name of views, pointing out that even when you think you're safe, something as simple as a gust of wind could cause things to end in tragedy. Is our life just worth one photo? The couple asked their followers. Unfortunately, Meenakshi and Vishnu would soon fall victim to the very thing they had implored people to be weary of just a few months before. During their final trip, the couple found themselves in Yosemite National Park, and of course, they began setting up to take photos to post to their account, but the two were never heard from again. Sometime later, a group of tourists noticed camera equipment at the top of Taft Point, and based on the scene, it was quite apparent what had happened to whoever left the gear where it stood. The bodies of Meenakshi and Vishnu were discovered immediately following this, resting over 1,000 feet below where they last stood. Whether the fall was caused by a loss of footing or a sudden gust of wind is unclear, but the couple will always be remembered not just for their knack for photography, but also for their enthusiasm for travel. On December 22, 2018, at roughly 9.30 p.m., the people of Java and Sumatra, Indonesia, were struck by a devastating tsunami that ultimately resulted in over 430 deaths, thousands injured, and dozens more unable to be located by their families. One of the main factors that contributed to the severity of this tragic event was the fact that the people of Indonesia were taken completely by surprise, allowing them no time to evacuate or brace themselves in any way. This was due to the unique cause of the tsunami. Rather than an earthquake, the massive surge was started when a nearby volcano by the name of Anak Krakatau erupted, causing a massive 158-acre section of the volcano to collapse into the surrounding sea. Unfortunately, this event was completely unpredictable. Some of the most compelling footage shot that evening depicts a performance by local pop group Seventeen in the moments leading up to impact. All seems normal until a massive wave suddenly hits the stage from behind, causing it to immediately collapse. The water consumes the entire band in just mere seconds as the audience screams in sheer horror. Unfortunately, every member of Seventeen aside from their vocalist perished that night. To make matters worse, the singer's wife, a popular TV personality, was one of the many initially reported missing, but was later found to have also passed away during the tsunami. This is just one person's story, but thousands more were affected, and those who survived now had to face the horrible aftermath of the tsunami's destruction. Thousands of homes were damaged, and many more were unfortunately completely swept away. In October of 2018, Facebook users were horrified by a disturbing viral video of an infant being drowned by her mother making its way throughout the site. 
In the clip, the woman filming remains obscured, but the infant can clearly be seen being held by her ankles before being dunked headfirst into the water several times. While all of this is taking place, the mother can be heard weeping, talking about not wanting the baby anymore, and asking, is this what you want? As it turns out, the disturbing clip was shot by 27-year-old Lakonda Mosley, who sent the video via Facebook to the baby's father, who then quickly contacted the authorities. Living out of state, the father could only pray that the police arrived in time, and they fortunately did. In screenshots later released to the public, it was revealed that Lakonda threatened to kill the baby if the father didn't send her money immediately. Ultimately, Lakonda was arrested and charged with felony aggravated assault, child abuse, and terroristic threatening. Tragedy struck the people of Ankara, Turkey in the early hours of December 13th, 2018, after a high-speed passenger train collided head-on with a locomotive. Footage of the crash shows that upon impact, part of the passenger train came into contact with an overpass, causing it to come crashing down on the already devastated scene. Approximately 206 passengers were on board that morning, six of which would unfortunately pass away during the accident. Three train conductors also lost their lives during the crash, bringing the total death count up to nine. Initially, it was also reported that up to 46 people were injured during the incident, but that number has since been revised to 84. Local investigators have been working to figure out the cause of the accident and took three state railway employees into custody under suspicion of negligence. However, many point to wider issues such as cost-cutting, which both engineering and railworker unions insist is doing far more harm than good. The Humboldt Broncos are a Canadian junior hockey team established in 1970 that play as a part of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, or the SJHL for short. By April of 2018, the Humboldt Broncos had secured a spot in the SJHL semifinals, but unfortunately would never make it. At approximately 5 p.m. on April 6th, the team was heading to their next game, eventually finding themselves about to pass through the intersection of Highway 35 and 335 near Armley. Before they could do so, their coach bus was suddenly struck by a semi-trailer traveling at over 60 miles per hour. According to reports, the driver of the semi failed to yield at a flashing stop sign, and because of this, the resulting collision took the lives of 16 out of the 30 people involved and injured 13 more. Once this tragic crash made the news, the public began showing their condolences through various means. Vigils and tributes were held, and at one point a GoFundMe was made in order to support the families of those lost. In just over a week, the campaign reached over $15 million in funds, making it Canada's most successful since the site's creation. As for the driver of the semi-truck, he survived and was identified as 29-year-old Jeskirat Singh Sidhu, 
On July 6, 2018, Sidhu was charged with 16 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing death and 13 counts of dangerous operation of a motor vehicle causing bodily injury. According to recent updates to the story on January 8th, Sidhu pled guilty to all charges. On October 12, 2018, inspectors in eastern Detroit received an anonymous letter pointing them in the direction of the former Cantrell Funeral Home, a place they were, unfortunately, all too familiar with. The letter informed inspectors of a hidden compartment within the funeral home's ceiling, and once they finally reached it, they discovered the unthinkable. Within the false ceiling were the badly decomposed bodies of 11 infants, nine of which were placed within a box and wrapped in trash bags, while the other two were kept within a casket. According to those present at the scene, the compartment was so well hidden that it was unlikely it would have ever been discovered had it not been for the anonymous letter they received earlier that day. By the time of this discovery, Cantrell Funeral Home had already been closed for over six months. Back in April, state regulators had shut the establishment down after finding two moldy bodies that were embalmed but wrongfully stored in an unrefrigerated garage for what appeared to be weeks. A third body was also discovered in a similar condition but with what inspectors described as unknown fluids covering the corpse's face. When approached for an explanation, Raymond Cantrell, the funeral home's owner, told reporters that he'd been storing the bodies as a favor until the families could afford the cost of their funerals. Whether or not this was also the reasoning behind storing the infants' bodies in the ceiling remains unclear, but unfortunately, this isn't the end of this story for Detroit. Just one week later, as part of an expanding investigation, inspectors discovered the remains of 63 more infants and fetuses at Perry Funeral Home, just a few minutes away from Cantrell, where the initial 11 infant bodies were discovered. According to authorities, despite the proximity of both establishments to each other, these cases were completely unrelated. Just like Cantrell, Perry Funeral Home faces repercussions for several licensing and possibly even criminal violations. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.